This morning's scripture reading will be read from the book of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. You may be seated. Good morning. It's good to be together this morning. Appreciate the time that we've been able to spend in worship together. Appreciate those who have been leading us in our worship. And I appreciate you. Seven Oaks is a good family to be a part of. I'm thankful for the visitors who are here with us today. Know that you're our honored guest. We hope you'll stick around and let us get to know you. We hope you'll come back and be with us anytime that you have the opportunity. Today we're going to be studying in a section of scripture that is fairly well known, yet it's a scripture that's very powerful and relevant in our lives. It's a scripture that I think we need to be reminded of from time to time, and that's Matthew chapter 5 verses 13 through 16. So if you have your copy of God's Word, I'd love for you to turn there with me. We're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 5 verses 13 through 16. Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. Dr. John Getty was a missionary for 24 years on an island in the southern Pacific in the mid-1800s. Whenever he passed away, a plaque was made and it was put in the church building where he preached. The church building where he spent his time ministering and a part of that plaque read like this. It reads, when he landed in 1848, there were no Christians. But when he left in 1872, there were no heathen. That quote, just that small section of the plaque, tells us a lot about Dr. Getty's mission work, doesn't it? It tells us a lot about the impact that he made on that small island. Dr. Getty, during his 24 years of missionary work, impacted people's lives. He impacted people's families. He impacted various communities on this very small island with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It makes me think, what kind of impact are we making on the world around us as followers of Jesus? How are we supposed to impact the world around us as those who claim to be Christians. I want you to consider for just a few moments how people have answered that question in the past. And I want you to consider how sometimes Christians continue to answer this question in the present. There are many Christians who view their impact as coming through politics. 
If I'm going to impact the world as a Christian, then I need to side with this political party, or I need to side with that political party if I want to impact the world as a follower of Jesus. There are some Christians who view their impact as coming through the voting booth. If I'm going to impact the world as a follower of Jesus, then I have to make sure I vote for the right people. I have to make sure that I vote for the right politicians. And when those politicians get in office, that's how I impact the world as a follower of Jesus. There are some Christians who believe their impact on the world comes through being victorious in the social culture wars that are waging right now. If we want to make an impact on the world, then we need to get our signs. And we need to march through the streets. We need to make sure that people know where we stand on this particular social issue. And we need to do everything that we can to be victorious in the cultural wars that are present in our society. There are some Christians who view their impact as coming through forcing a standard on people that they don't accept for themselves. We take our Bibles, we beat people over the head with it whenever they're not interested in the Bible in the first place. They're not interested in following what Scripture says in their lives. There are Christians who view their impact as coming through things like boycotts, boycotting different organizations or businesses that make decisions that we don't agree with. Some Christians would suggest that the impact of the church should only be felt through the leadership. That's the job of the elders. That's the job of the deacons. That's the job of the ministers. They're the ones who are supposed to impact the world with the gospel. And then if some of us are honest with ourselves, we really don't think that much about impacting the world on a daily basis. We take our hands, we cover up our eyes, and we choose to live for ourselves. We choose to live with a mentality that says, I'll stay in my lane, you stay in your lane, we won't intersect with one another, and we'll be good living that way. Well, whenever we go to Matthew chapter 5, and we look at verses 13 through 16, whenever we see what Jesus has to say about the impact that we should have on the world, I want you to notice that He doesn't mention any of those things. When Jesus talks about impacting the world, He doesn't turn to politics. He doesn't turn to the voting booth. He doesn't turn to being victorious in all of these different social and cultural wars that are waging right now. In fact, when Jesus talks about how we should impact the world, it's very different from those things we mentioned just a few moments ago. It's actually quite simple. As Christians, according to Jesus, if we want to impact the world around us, we quietly do what God wants us to do. We peacefully live how God expects us to live. And whenever we do what God wants us to do, whenever we do what God expects us to do, we make a godly impact on a world that so desperately needs it. We make a godly impact on a world that is completely contaminated with sin. People are able to see the good things we do. People are able to see the good lives that we live and the good things that we say and not realize how great we are, but come to the realization of how great our Father is in heaven. According to Jesus, that's how we're supposed to impact the world. That is what our impact is supposed to look like. But you don't have to take my word for that. Let's see that in the text of Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. As Jesus talks about how we should influence the world around us, 
He uses two illustrations to do it. First, he says that we are to be the salt of the earth in chapter 5 and verse 13. And then he tells us that we are to be the light of the world in verses 14 through 16. But before we get too far into this text, we need to take just a few moments to recognize that Jesus spoke these words in a particular context. When we read through and study the words of Matthew 5 verses 13 through 16, it's towards the beginning of what we oftentimes call the Sermon on the Mount. I believe that the Sermon on the Mount is the greatest sermon to ever be preached. It's the longest sermon that we have from Jesus recorded for us in the pages of Scripture. It takes up the entirety of Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 6, and Matthew chapter 7. Jesus begins that sermon in the text immediately preceding this one, Matthew chapter 5, verses 2 through 12, by giving us what we commonly call the Beatitudes. He gives us eight different internal mindsets, internal attitudes that we are to develop. Only when we develop these eight internal attitudes are we able to experience true blessing in life. Only when we develop these eight internal mindsets that Jesus lists for us in verses 2 through 12 are we able to experience true meaning, true happiness, and true fulfillment in life. And so, as we come off of the coattails of the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, verses 2 through 12, and we enter into this section in verses 13 through 16 that is about how we are to impact the world around us, I believe the idea that we see, the idea that we find, is that we cannot make an impact on the world externally, verses 13 through 16, if we have not first made an impact on ourselves internally, in verses 2 through 12. We're not going to be able to be the salt of the earth. We're not going to be the light of the world unless we go back to Matthew chapter 5 and verse 2 and we become poor in spirit. Or we become those who mourn, those who are meek, those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. We can't impact the world externally. We can't change the world externally unless we first impact and change ourselves internally. We don't have the time to do it this morning. But maybe later today or later this week, spend some time in Matthew chapter 5, verses 2 through 12. Read through those eight different attitudes, those eight different internal mindsets, and reflect on your own life. Is this the kind of person that I am? Is this the kind of life that I'm living? Are these the kind of mindsets? Are these the kind of attitudes that I've developed? According to Jesus, am I truly living a life of blessing? If you evaluate yourself and you find that that's not the case, well, that's where you need to start. Start by becoming poor in spirit, by becoming meek, by becoming a person who hungers and thirsts after righteousness. If you read through this text and you evaluate yourself and you say, yeah, that, that's who I am, and I've been very intentional about that, then you're able to move on to verses 13 through 16 to talk about this impact that you're supposed to have on the world. You won't impact the world until you first impact yourself. But when you impact yourself, then you're able to move on and to consider the influence that you should have on the people around you. And as we mentioned just a few moments ago, the first thing that Jesus has to say about that is that we are the salt of the earth. I mean, look at the beginning of chapter 5 and verse number 13. Jesus says, you are. That's talking about identity. 
That's talking about who we are as followers of Jesus. You are the salt of the earth. Now, we might be tempted to read through this text and to think that Jesus is talking to us as individuals. We might be tempted to read through this text and to think Jesus is saying you, as an individual, as a specific Christian, as a man, as a woman, you are to be the salt of the earth. Well, remember, the New Testament wasn't originally written in English. It was originally written in Greek. And if you go back to the Greek, that first verb, those first two words, you are, they are not singular, talking about one person. They are plural, talking about more than one person. In other words, if we were to have a Western Kentucky translation of chapter 5 and verse 13, you know what it would say? It would say, y'all are the salt of the earth. That's what Jesus is saying. And it's true throughout the rest of the passage. When you look in verse number 14, what, what would the Western Kentucky translation say? It would say, y'all are the light of the world. The same as in verse 16. In the same way, let y'all's light shine before others so that they may see y'all's good works and give glory to y'all's Father who is in heaven. In this text, Jesus is not talking about me. He's not talking about the impact that I make by myself. In this text, Jesus is not talking about you. He's not talking about the impact that you're to have on the world as a specific Christian or as a specific individual. In this text, Jesus is talking about us. He's talking about how we are able to impact the world as the collective body of Christ. If you're having problems connecting to this church family, if we're not able to get along with one another as brothers and sisters in Christ, this in Matthew chapter 5 is going to be impossible for us to do. If we're not living together as God would desire us to live together, if we're not living together in unity and harmony and love, we're not going to be able to impact the world. We can't do it unless we do it together. Who are we? We are the salt of the earth. Well, that sounds really good. And that rolls off the tongue really well, but what does that mean? What does it mean to be the salt of the earth? If you go back to the time of Jesus, if you go back to the first century time, salt was used in a number of different ways. Let me give you just a few of those examples. These are examples that Jesus' audience would have been very familiar with. First, in the ancient world, people used salt like we use it today. They used it as a flavoring to give taste and flavor to food that was tasteless or flavorless. Salt was used in the ancient world as a fertilizer. Farmers would take it out to their farm, they would spread it on the ground, and it would enhance their crop growth. It was used as an antiseptic. It would hurt. It, you know, we use the phrase pouring salt into an open wound, but literally that's what they would do. They would use salt to treat their wounds and to stop infection from forming. And perhaps the most common way that salt was used is it was used as a preservative. They didn't have refrigerators. They didn't have freezers like we have today to keep our food good. So they would take their meat, they would rub it down with salt, and that salt would preserve their meat. It would stop it from going bad so quickly. Jesus says, y'all, we as his followers are the salt of the earth. What does that mean? Well, take a look at our world. We live in a world that is completely flavorless and tasteless. As Christians, we are the salt that brings flavor. We are the salt that brings taste. 
Our world is completely incapable of yielding a spiritual harvest or even yielding one spiritual crop. As Christians, we are the salt that fertilizes the soil and helps it to produce the crops that God would want it to produce. Our world is wounded. And the wounds are bad. It's not just a little cut or scrape, but it's a big wound that has become infected. As Christians, we are the salt that serves as an antiseptic. We are the salt that helps to cure the wounds. That helps to stop the infection. We live in a world that's decaying. We live in a world that's rotting because of their sin. John says it this way in 1 John chapter 2, that the world is passing away and its lust thereof. As Christians, we are the salt that serves as a preservative. We are the salt that puts an end to that decaying process by meeting sin with the righteousness of Jesus. That is the kind of impact that we are to have on the world as the salt of the earth. You know what the problem with that is though? The problem with that that we see in verse 13 is that that's not always the impact that we have. That's not always what we do whenever we think about the world. And Jesus recognizes that. Notice Jesus asked the question, if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? If salt loses its saltiness, Jesus asked, what's it good for? What can you use it for? Perhaps you're familiar and science tells us that pure sodium chloride, pure salt, can't actually lose its flavor or its saltiness. But again, in the first century, the majority of the salt that they had wasn't pure. It had some impurities within it. And as a result of those impurities, the salt could lose its taste, lose its flavor, lose its saltiness. What good is it when that happens? Jesus says the only thing that it's good for is to take it outside, throw it on the ground, and trample it underneath your feet. Who are we? We're the salt of the earth. What happens when we lose our saltiness? We're supposed to have a very direct and, and powerful impact on the world. That's what Jesus is telling us here. But what happens when that impact is absent? What happens when that impact is not what I think about and it's not a part of who I am? Jesus says if we're not actively impacting the world around us, we might as well be thrown out. We might as well be trampled underneath people's feet. That's how serious Jesus takes this. As the salt of the earth, we are to impact the world in ways that glorify God and point others to Jesus. But that's not the only thing that Jesus tells us. Jesus also tells us the second illustration that He uses in this text to talk about the impact that we should have on the world is that we're not just the salt of the earth, but we are the light of the world in verses 14 through 16. Look again at the beginning of verse number 14. Jesus, looking out at this large crowd, says, You, y'all, are the light of the world. Again, we hear that a lot. That sounds really good and it rolls off the tongue really well. But what does it mean to be the light of the world? I think in one sense, being the light of the world means that we're going to be like Jesus. Because if you go over to John chapter 8 and verse 12, or John chapter 9 and verse 5, they verbatim say the same thing. Jesus talks to us about who He is. He says, I am the light of the world. But then if you come back to our text in Matthew 5 and verse 14, Jesus points His fingers at His, his disciples listening to Him and says, y'all are the light of the world. So what does that mean? 
Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. You're the light of the world. What Jesus is teaching us is that we are to be like Him. Think about it like this. Whenever you look up in the night sky, how is the moon able to shine? Did you know that the moon doesn't produce its own light? The moon is not capable of producing its own light. When you look up in the sky at night and you see the moon shining, that light isn't coming from the moon. The moon is actually reflecting light from the sun. In the same way as Christians, we're not capable of producing our own light. It's not something that we are able to do. So when we look at this world of darkness, how are we able to be the light of the world? We reflect the light of the sun. Not the S-U-N, but the S-O-N. As Christians, as we live in the world on a daily basis, we reflect the light that comes from Jesus. He says, I'm the light of the world. He says, you're the light of the world. That means we're supposed to be like Him. That means we're supposed to reflect His light. That means when people look at you or when people look at me, they shouldn't see you. They shouldn't see me. Instead, they should see Jesus. When people look at this congregation here at Seven Oaks, they shouldn't see a group of people who come together a few times a week. They should see Jesus reflected in us. What does it mean to be the light of the world? Well, in one sense, it means we're going to be like Jesus, but also consider, what does light do? Perhaps you could add to this list, but here are a few of the things that I thought of. Light dispels darkness. It pushes back against and overcomes the darkness. Light wakes you up. Unless you have some really nice blackout curtains, when the light shines through your window in the morning, you're going to wake up. Light reveals what's hidden by darkness. If you just turn on the light, chances are you're not going to stub your toe on the corner of the wall. You're going to be able to see it because the light reveals it. Light stands out in darkness. If we were to turn all the lights off and it was completely dark in here, all it would take is someone to raise up the screen of their phone and light it up and we'd all be able to see that. Why? Because light is obvious in the midst of darkness. Light stands out in the midst of darkness. So when we think about being the light of the world, what does it mean to do that? What does it mean to fulfill that identity? Go back to our world. Our world is defined by the darkness of sin. As Christians, we are the light that dispels it. We are the light that pushes back against it. Our world is asleep, spiritually speaking. As Christians, we are the light that's attempting to wake them up. To wake the world up to who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for them. The world loves to commit sin underneath the cover of darkness. As Christians, we are the light that reveals those sins that are being committed. It's like what John talks about in John the first chapter. We allow the light of the Gospel, the light of Jesus, to reveal the sinfulness of man. Light stands out in darkness. We, we live in a world that is constantly inviting us into the darkness. That's what temptation is. It wants to pull us into sin and to pull us into wickedness. As Christians, we're the light that resists that. We're the light that stands out in the midst of the darkness. When someone looks at you and they look at the life of someone who doesn't follow Jesus, it should become very obvious very quickly who you are and who you follow. This is who we are. We're the salt of the earth. We are the light of the world. 
talking about being the light of the world, Jesus uses two illustrations in 14 and 15 to help us understand this idea. He says that you are the light of the world. This is verse 14. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Oftentimes in the ancient world, when they built a city, they would build it on a hill. It had various advantages, especially in war and in battle. If your city was built on a hill... But another advantage is that it's also obvious. If you have a city built on a hill, it's elevated above everything else and it's really easy to see regardless of what time of day it is. When the sun is shining, the sun's going to shine off of the white limestone that they oftentimes used to build in the ancient world. If it's nighttime, people are going to light up their lamps and those lamps aren't just going to illuminate individual houses, but it's going to illuminate the entire area that if you're standing and you look up, that city is easy to see. You can't hide. A city that's set on a hill. Jesus says our lives should be the same way. You can't live a life that's ashamed of the gospel and make a difference in the world at the same time. You can't try to hide your light and also impact a world of darkness at the same time. If a city that's set on a hill cannot be hidden, our Christian lights should not be hidden either. And then the second illustration that Jesus uses in verse 15 is that of an oil lamp. We go from talking about a city that's set on a hill, which by the way, an interesting connection, if you go back to Matthew chapter 5 and verse 1, who is Jesus talking to? He's talking to a group of people who have assembled to listen to Him on a hill. And so He says, you're to be a city that's set on a hill that can't be hidden. But then He goes from talking about a city to just one household. Whenever, you light, whenever it started to get dark and you lit up your oil lamp, would it make much sense to put it under a basket? Wouldn't make much sense, would it? Because if you light your oil lamp and it's completely dark, remember, they didn't have flashlights. They weren't able to go to the light switch and switch it on. They didn't even have flashlights on their iPhone 13s. I mean, I don't understand what's up with that. But you, when you lit your oil lamp, you're not going to put it under a basket because it's not going to do you any good. Instead, what do you do? You put it up on a stand, and when you put it up on a stand, you're able to give light not just to yourself, but to everyone who's in the house. Jesus says our lives are to be the same way. Don't live a life that's ashamed of Jesus. Don't take your little light that's shining and put it under a bushel. Don't take your lamp and put it under a basket. Instead, put it up on the stand. Allow it to benefit you, not, not only you, but also the people who are around you on a daily basis. When Jesus talks about being the light of the world, He tells us who we are in 14. He gives two pictures to describe it in 14 and 15. But then you might be wondering, what does this look like on a daily basis? We've been using a lot of symbolic language. We've been using a lot of illustrative language this morning when it comes to being the salt of the earth and light of the world. But now talk to me about my life. Talk to me about Sunday through Saturday. What does this look like in the decisions that I make on a daily basis? Well, that's verse 16. He says in the same way, just like a city on a hill can't be hidden, just like you're going to take a lamp and put it on a stand so that it will give light to everyone in the house in the same way, let your light, let y'all's light shine before others. Don't be ashamed. Don't put your lamp under a basket. 
Let your light shine before others when you go to work. Let your light shine before others when you go back to school. Let your light shine before others when you're together with your friends. Let your light shine before others when you're at a family get-together. Let your light shine before others when you're driving down the road or when you go to the supermarket. Why? Here's the reason, and and really here's the impact. So that they may see your good works. Go back to verses 2-12. through As followers of Jesus, we are those who have been changed on the inside. We've developed these internal attitudes. We've developed these internal mindsets. And because we've become poor in spirit, and we are those who are meek, and we are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, we do good things. We live good lives. We say good things. We involve ourselves in good things. Let your light so shine before others. Remember, you've been changed on the inside. Now you're doing good works on the outside. What's the result of that? Oh, well, when people see the good things that you're doing, they're going to be really impressed. And they're going to know how great you are. And they're going to go and talk about how great you are. And they're going to glorify you. That's not what Jesus says. That's not the impact that we're supposed to have. We live in a world of darkness. We live in a world that's contaminated. We've been changed on the inside so that we'll do good works on the outside. And we do good works on the outside not so that we'll be seen by others, not so that other people will think about how great we are, but so that they will give glory to your Father who is in heaven. People see our good works and they fall on their knees before God. They give praise and glory and honor. They extol the amazing name of our God who is in heaven. When was the last time that happened in your life? And that might be an impossible question to answer, but just consider it for a second. When was the last time somebody looked at your life and they walked away glorifying God? When was the last time somebody saw your good works and they walked away knowing how great your God is. That's the kind of impact that we're supposed to have on the world according to Jesus. Listen, it's not about politics. It's not about casting a particular vote. It's not about winning a cultural war. It's about you being changed and you doing good works. You reflecting the light of Jesus so that people will realize how great God is and submit their lives to Him. We are the salt of the earth. We are the light of the world. Came across a Peanuts cartoon where Peppermint Patty was having a conversation with Charlie Brown. She walked up to Charlie Brown and told him, it's first day of school and I got sent to the principal's office. I already got in trouble and Chuck, it's your fault. Charlie Brown said, my, my fault? What do you mean my fault? You're the one that got in trouble. You're the one that got sent to the principal's office. That's your fault. She said, no, it's, it's yours. Because you're my friend, aren't you? He said, yeah, I'm, I'm your friend. She said, if you're my friend, then you should have had a better influence on me. And if you had had a better influence on me, I wouldn't have gotten in trouble. Seven Oaks, it's time for us to have a better influence on the world. It's time for us to have a better impact, to have a more Christ-like impact 
on the world around us on a daily basis. It, it's time to be the salt of the earth. It's time to be the light of the world so that people will see our good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven. We are the salt of the earth. Are you the salt of the earth? Or have you lost your saltiness? We are the light of the world. Are you the light of the world? Or have you taken your lamp and hid it, hid it under a basket? We're supposed to make an impact on the world around us. Are you making that impact for Jesus? Are you making that impact for the Gospel every single day that you live? If it's something you're struggling with, if it's something you'd like to be doing a better job at, well, we'd love to help you. We'd love to pray for you as together we stand and sing the invitation song.